Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Well, I love Easter. To me, it gets better every year. I love the message of Easter. I love the gospel of Jesus Christ and the life that God is giving us through him. And I've got to tell you, my favorite thing about being a pastor right now is every day I get to see or hear about someone who is doing something to make a real difference in someone else's life uh, in the name of Jesus. Uh, Things that are that will never be known by the masses, but God sees your faithfulness. He sees your creativity. And I want to tell you, it's an honor to know you. It's an honor to be part of Rockbrook Church. And uh, Rockbrook, I want to thank you for a couple of big things. Uh, One is the food drive that we did on Saturday. Uh, Way to go. I appreciate those who served and those who drove through and donated. And I know many will be blessed and encouraged because of your gift and your donation. Uh, The other thing I want to thank you for is the blood drive that we were doing on Tuesday, the 14th. I just looked and all the slots were full, so way to go. Uh, We're going to try and do those more frequently in this time and even with different providers to give plenty of opportunity to give back in in such a tangible way. Uh, There's a great need there, and so you're really uh, filling a void and meeting a need. Uh, I also believe that one of the greatest things that we can do and give to someone else in these days is hope. Hope. Uh, This weekend's message is titled Resurrection Equals Hope because that's exactly what Jesus did. The resurrection of Jesus, it turned the first followers of Christ from fearful people of despair into courageous people of hope. And they began to spread the message of the resurrection of hope everywhere because when they saw Jesus had come back to life, it absolutely changed everything. And I've been praying that the same would happen for you this Easter. I've been praying this verse. Let's look at it together in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. That the eyes of your heart. So look here for a moment. You've got eyes here, everybody knows that, but you also have eyes here. It's how you see the world. It's why we can all see the same thing, but we all see it in a different way. We filter what we see around us through the eyes of our heart, the good things that have happened to us, the bad things that have happened to us, uh, the disappointments, the wounds that we carry, uh, maybe our self-centeredness, maybe focusing on the wrong things, the worries that we have. And I pray that God would flood your heart eyes, that he would flood your heart with his light in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. And that hope begins with the resurrection. You know, when Jesus Christ was crucified in 33 AD, there were only about 120 followers who were really true to his message at that time. And today, 2,000 years later, 2.3 billion people in the world claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. 
How in the world did that happen? How did a little band of poor people 12,000 or 2,000 years ago, rather, expand into billions? In one word, it's the resurrection. It's the most significant event in all of history. Now, let me explain the difference between resurrection and resuscitation. They are not the same. People get resuscitated all the time. So if you faint, we'll resuscitate you. If you go into a a coma, you can be resuscitated. There are people who, uh, they will die technically for a certain amount of minutes or their heart stopped beating for a certain amount of beats. And then they go and and write a book about that like it, it means something. But that's resuscitation. Jesus' resurrection means something else entirely. Jesus was crucified. By far the most brutal, torturous form of capital punishment that has ever been invented. They beat him. They shoved a crown of thorns into his skull. They scourged him. They made him carry a heavy cross uh, to carry up the mountain. They bring Jesus to the top of the hill. They lie him down. They nail his hands to a cross. They they would bend the person's legs and nail their feet so they didn't want Jesus to suffocate. So that would be too easy. So they bend his legs, nail his feet to the cross so he would have to push himself up to breathe. It was up and down and up and down. Death on a cross took a very long time. They took a spear and they, they shoved it into his side to make sure that he was dead. He was buried in a tomb for three days, and, and then he came back to life. Only Jesus Christ has done that. That's not resuscitation. That is resurrection. And that single event changed all of history. And what it did is it turned the first followers of Christ into the most hopeful, the most resilient, and amazing people the world has ever seen. And followers of Jesus are still the most hopeful people on the planet today. There's actually no contest. We have far more hope than anyone else in the world because of what Jesus Christ did at the resurrection. And anyone can have this hope. So this message today, this message of hope is not just hang in there or or we'll get through this and just hang on. No, I want to give you some legitimate reasons God gives us to have hope. If you're taking notes, uh, write this in. Number one, the first reason that Jesus' resurrection gives us hope is that we've been completely forgiven. Completely. Jesus repeatedly said over and over, I'm going to be handed over to be killed and then on the third day, rise again. Now, if he had not done the second part, the resurrection part, the first part, the cross, really has no meaning. It has no power. It doesn't matter. If he did not come back to life, then we really have every reason to doubt that his death would mean anything for us at all. But he did come back to life. And so now the cross means something very powerful for us today. The two go together. Ephesians 1 again, verse 7, says, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son. And what did he do? He forgave our sins. He forgave our sins. 
His death frees you from the weight, the shame, the condemnation, ultimately you having to die for your sin. Jesus said, I came to die for your sins so that you won't have to die for them. The cross was brutal, absolutely brutal. Why would Jesus go through that? Why why would he do that? Who put Jesus on the cross? Who killed Jesus? Who's to blame for this crucifixion? And it's actually probably not who you might think. It wasn't Judas, the betrayer. It wasn't Caiaphas, the high priest. It wasn't Pilate, the Roman governor. It wasn't even the crowd who turned on him and started chanting, crucify him. and Give us Barabbas, who, who was a guilty man. It wasn't the Roman soldiers. There's actually two answers to who put Jesus on the cross. The first answer is this. God did. God put him there. It was actually his plan all along when he sent Jesus to earth. Here's what the Bible says in Isaiah uh, chapter 53. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. So it was God's plan. But I want you to notice something, and that is how the tense changes here. That when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. In other words, the the people who've come to follow him are his descendants who, who believe in him. But the first part is past tense, and then it goes into the future tense. Why this change? This is absolutely amazing. It's because this passage, Isaiah 53, was written 700 years before Jesus Christ. This is the prophecy in Isaiah 700 BC that he is telling, he is predicting exactly what's going to happen to the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God when he comes to earth, and it happened exactly the way he predicted. First, God did it. It's the whole reason that God sent Jesus to earth. If Jesus had not wanted to give his life for us, it would never have happened. He laid his life down. The second answer to who killed Jesus is I did. Because if, if I could have saved myself, if my good works could have saved me, if, if I could have followed God's law, if I could have broken my sin nature, if I could have raised myself from the dead, Jesus wouldn't have to die on the cross for my sins and rise again to conquer the grave. He was doing it so I could be saved, so you could be saved. And even on the cross, in all that pain, he wasn't thinking of himself. He was thinking of you. It's why Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them. I love this in Romans chapter four. It says he was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to life to make us right with God. That is the whole message of Easter in one verse, completely forgiven. Now there's someone who's listening to this right now who you don't feel forgiven. In fact, you've never truly known that you're forgiven and you've never truly felt that you're forgiven and that you could be made right with God. And you feel like if anyone knew the real you, 
that you would be hopeless, but God knows the real you. He sees it all. He has seen it all. And it's not about you anymore. It's about the name and the work of Jesus Christ. It's about a cross that once and for all settled the judgment that hung over your head and your life. And now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I pray that God this Easter would flood your life, flood your heart with the light of the resurrection in order that you may know the hope to which you've been called. Be free. I want to give you the second reason uh, that Jesus' resurrection gives us hope. Real, tangible hope that you can feel and know in these days. And that is that number two, we're no longer afraid to die. Jesus broke the power of death. Yes, without Christ, we are left for dead and we should be afraid. But Christ has conquered the grave. You see, the, the individual sins that you've committed, that's not even the whole issue. Before you know Jesus Christ, uh, before you are covered by his blood, any good thing that you do, God really could not care less about. The, the primary problem in your life before you know Jesus Christ is that you are spiritually dead. And God wants you to know and trust in Jesus so the power of the resurrection can have an impact on your life. Jesus broke the power of the fear of death. The fear of death, uh, it's a universal fear. Everybody has it all over the world. In fact, one time I literally traveled around the world. I circled the globe with my dad. And one thing I learned on that trip is that while there's all these different cultures and languages and everything else, there are some universal fears. And everyone fears the unknown. So the fear of death is everywhere. But what did Jesus do? He came back to life. L let me explain it this way. If Jesus Christ had not resurrected from the dead, uh, you would not even know that there's life after death. Now you might guess at it. Uh, you might be able to look at some evidences from creation, like the, the pattern and cycle of nature. And actually nature and science and anthropology, psychology, ethics, philosophy, they all give us some evidence of an afterlife, but you wouldn't know. You'd have nothing to prove it. So Jesus said, I'm going to prove it. I'm going to prove it to you once and for all. And he came back and said, I've conquered death. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus promised, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Now that is hope. There is hope. One of the things that's difficult to explain without the resurrection uh, is the sudden shift and change in the disciples. Because at the crucifixion and after the crucifixion, they're all scared to death. They're running, they're defeated, uh, they're depressed, they're in despair. And then three days later, uh, they're ready to take on the Roman Empire. So what happened? Well, they'd seen Jesus. They were eyewitnesses. In fact, the Apostle Paul uh, lists uh, a few of the eyewitnesses in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. 
After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom, who are, st- most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, I also saw him. This isn't even an entire list. For 40 days, he had multiple meetings with lots of different people. This is what's called definitive evidence, conclusive proof. Having hundreds of eyewitnesses would stand up in any court anywhere in the world. This is why the church exploded. And within years, there were 30,000 members of the church just in Jerusalem. And then it had grown to nearly half a million. And then it exploded all over the Roman Empire. Why? Why? Because of the resurrection. Because of Easter. Because there were so many eyewitnesses. So the Roman Empire started of what was called the Great Persecution. And for 300 years... The first 300 years of Christianity, it was actually illegal to be a Christian. And if you made the decision to say, I'm going to become a follower of Christ, uh, you were more likely to be fed to the lions in the Colosseum or to be crucified yourself or beheaded. It meant taking up your own cross. And why did people become followers? Because of the hope. Why would people believe in Jesus despite all those things? Because of the hope. Did you know that all but one of the original disciples, every one of those guys were murdered except for one, John. Stephen was stoned to death. James was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was in prison in Rome and then he was executed. In fact, I want you to just listen here to the last words of the Apostle Paul right before he goes to his execution. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. This is the kind of attitude that Christians were fearless in the face of death. Why? Because they knew there was more to this life than just the here and now. They knew there was an eternal reality. And you know what baffled the Roman Empire? It was how afraid Christians were to die. Paul says it like this, Philippians 1.21. For to me, Living means living for Christ and dying is even better. He, he says, you know, either way I win. If I'm alive, I'll just go on living in my purpose that God created me for. If I die, then great. I get to be in heaven sooner and I can't wait to see my Lord. I can't lose. I mean, wh- what do you do to a guy like that? Now there's someone listening to this right now who you are absolutely terrified of death. In fact, your fear of death is greatly affecting the life that God is giving you today. And you don't have to be afraid. Anyone who believes in Christ will live even after dying. That's a promise for you. That's hope for you. Do not be afraid. Let me give you a third reason that the resurrection can give us real hope in these days. And that is number three. We have an eternal home. We have an eternal home. We know as followers of Jesus that death is not the end. In fact, it's a transition into better things. The last of Jesus' 12 disciples to die uh, was a guy named John, as I mentioned. And actually, the Romans tried to kill him, but uh, the, the murders, the killings, wouldn't, they wouldn't stick. And so they exiled John to a prison uh, on a colony, a prison colony on an island in the middle of the Mediterranean. 
And by himself there, he wrote the last, the last book, the last words of the Bible. It's called the book of Revelation. It's a vision that God gave, God gave John and what the end times are like, what heaven will be like. What's heaven going to be like? What's this eternal reality going to be like for followers of Jesus? In a word, it, it's indescribable. I mean, you and I trying to understand what heaven is like, I mean, it would be like a mosquito trying to understand internal combustion. It's just not going to compute. We're not going to get it. But you see here on planet Earth that we're limited by dimensions and uh, we're limited by many different things that we will not be limited by in heaven. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be amazing. Why? Because look at the Earth. This is a broken planet, a fallen planet planet. Nothing here works perfectly, yet there's still a lot of beauty to be found. There's sunrises and sunsets and uh, mountains and farmlands and forests and it's, this is an imperfect planet and yet there's still beauty. Imagine what a perfect place is going to be like with all the sights and sounds and tastes and colors where there's, it's absolutely perfect. Now, the problem with most people and heaven is um, they have a TV vision of heaven. And, and on television and in many movies, uh, they always predict uh, and show heaven to be white and foggy. I've never understood why it's always white and foggy. No, it's going to be colorful. It's going to be dynamic. It's going to be amazing. In, in 1 Corinthians 2.9, it says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And I'll tell you, the more that I personally walk with people through their pain and through their sickness and through their sadness, the more that I see that the earth with all of its abuse and the affairs and the assaults and rapes and violence and racism and prejudice and, and war and all of the bad things that we see, the evil, the terrorism, pandemics, the more that I see of that in this world, in our broken planet, the more that I have friends and family and church members who have gone, gone ahead of us, the, the more I trust Jesus and the more I look forward to heaven. I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. First John 2, 15 through 17. It says, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, You do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the one of this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. You need hope. You need that hope. In the midst of everything fading away and falling apart, you need hope in an eternal home that God is offering you. To make it through this life, you need hope. Not just wishful thinking, but a hope that you can be certain of. You you can't be good enough to get this hope of eternity in heaven. You need a savior. That's what Jesus came to do. It comes through Jesus Christ. And if Jesus didn't need to die on the cross for you, then him shedding his blood was a total waste. There's only one way. 
In fact, before Jesus went back to heaven, he said to his followers in John 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. You need Jesus Christ. You need the way, the truth, and the life. You need need an eternal home, an eternal reward that's driving your purpose and your mission here on earth. This week, I, I read a news story about a lady who was in an Ironman. She's an Ironman competitor, but this particular competition was held last weekend, and so it was a virtual reality Ironman competition. And she was doing the virtual reality Iron Man in her home. And she was on a machine. Uh, She's actually amazing. She was holding down second place when her husband walked into the room and accidentally tripped over the cable and kicked out the plug of the machine. And I just so related with that husband. And I've been laughing so hard about that of just hopefully laughing with them and commiserating with them. But she was immediately disqualified because of the disconnection, but she went ahead and biked out the rest of the race, which is sad because while she did the same thing that she would have done in the race, she was just going through the motions, disqualified for the finish, for the real race. I wonder if that's how you're actually living your life, disconnected from God, going through the motions, disqualified from the real race of of meaning and hope. But God knew that on Easter weekend, 2020, that you'd be listening to this in whatever circumstance or situation you find yourself in, however you might be watching or listening online right now. God loves you, and he's actually been preparing you for this moment. One more verse. It's John 316 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. God knew you couldn't save yourself and he loves you so he did it for you. It's time to believe it. Let's pray. Well, maybe you just want to follow along in your heart and mind, and maybe it's been a long time since you've prayed. Maybe you've never believed God is real and and prayed to him before. Maybe this Easter in all the chaos, you've found so much fear and despair creeping in, and you've forgotten these, these promises and these truths from God. Just pray this in your heart and mind right now. Say, God, I want to have a real faith in you. I want to become a trusting believer in you. Thank you for coming to earth and living the perfect life I could never live. Thank you for dying in my place on the cross because of my sins. 
Thank you for rising from the dead, proving that you are God. You have the power to forgive sins. Today, I want to accept your gift of grace. I need your forgiveness and mercy. You made me for a purpose, and I want to invest my life in serving you. I want to trust in your wisdom and strength. I want to hold on to your promises when times are tough. And I also want to be raised to eternal life in heaven and a full life here on earth. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, if you did not mean that, it did not mean anything. But if you sincerely meant it, this is a big deal. This is called the moment of salvation for you. And I don't know where you are with all of this, the gospel and believing in Jesus Christ and the message of Easter. Uh, Maybe you say, I've already trusted in Jesus Christ to save me and you've made that decision before. Uh, But maybe you are beginning to trust in Jesus Christ today. You've been considering the claims of Christ for a while and and today it's it's clicking for you. You're ready to say, God, I, I believe in you. Maybe you want some more time to consider the claims of Jesus Christ and think about it. I recognize this is a big decision and maybe you'd just like to consider it more. I would caution you though to not delay too long. We're not promised tomorrow and you don't want to get to the end of your life and have not trusted in Jesus. Or maybe you say, you know, I don't think I'm ever going to trust in Jesus Christ. And maybe after all I've said today and all we've sung, you don't think you'll ever trust in him. And I'll tell you, there's people in our church who one day would have said, they didn't think they'd ever believe in Jesus. And there are pastors in this church who would have said that at one time. There are people who uh, contributed in writing the Bible who at one time said they would never believe in Jesus. But Christ's love compelled them. He loved us to the point of making a decision to believe in him and trust in him. That's what he does. But hey, if you are beginning to trust in Jesus Christ this Easter, I want to know about it. Uh, I want to celebrate with you. We want to celebrate with you. Would you just simply let us know? A really easy way to do that for you right now would be just pull out your phone and text the keyword SAVED. Just text that one word, SAVED, to 816-281-0808. 816-281-0808. And we'll celebrate with you. Come on, tell someone about uh, this Easter decision you've made. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.